This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello everybody, you're listening to By the Book. This is Sharmila Ganesan and of course, as always, my fellow uh, lover of comedy, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. So we are celebrating humour in books today because the 1st of July is International Joke Day. So we thought it'd be a good opportunity to talk about something that's quite underrated when it comes to reading and literature, which is just laughing and finding something funny. And so joining us for today's show and for that discussion is comedian Kevin Jay. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so I thought it would be nice to start off um, by talking about, well, in a, in a slightly self-centered way, my introduction to books and humor, which is really those those little anthologies of jokes and riddles that you used to get. I don't know if they still exist, but they were so popular when I was growing up. And I used to just annoy all of the adults around me by forcing them to sit down and listen to me read out riddles and jokes. Um, and I was wondering whether that's something that you guys were ever into as kids. Maybe not as as a kid because I uh, wasn't allowed to read those books, you know, because of its kind of, you know, questionable natures of some of the books. But then later on in life, I did actually, you know, come across some of these books. And out of curiosity, I bought one or two and read those books. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I used to enjoy them as much as uh, this thing, uh, jokes, riddles. Especially the dirty ones. Just don't, <laughs> don't tell my parents. So I, I um, accidentally found my dad's dirty joke books at one point and I was horrified because until then I only had knock-knock jokes. So <laughs> I understand the, the, the thrill of that. Uh, Lynn, what about you? Oh man, I was that kid. I, I don't like talking about it now, but I was so that kid. Um, I had a lot of these joke anthologies. I was also always the person who was very bored at uh, family dinners and weddings and the like. So here we go. You know, I would whip one out and ask everybody, like, what did the teapot say to the cup or whatever it was? And I just, I loved those books. I think in many ways, uh, those sorts of anthologies were also my graduation to other sort of I guess introductions to humor in reading as a kid because that's how I got uh, that's how I found my way to things like I don't know Dennis the Menace and, and and the like and it was through those sorts of joke anthologies that I arrived there. I don't know about you Shamila but I really want to know what the teapot said to the cup. <laughs> Now Are you ready for some hot stuff? I don't know. It's a terrible joke. That that sounds like one of those that as a kid you made up inspired by a joke book because I had a horrible one, something about what shark has a head like a hammer. Genius, right? <laughs> it's, it's very, it, it's good. It's very scientific. <laughs> and then I would laugh to myself. Anyway, embarrassing childhood stories aside, um, I was going to say that that progression to things like Dennis the Menace is, um, again, one of those things I feel a lot of people have in common because um, I used to love those types of comics, Dennis the Menace, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, um, mm. Archie. And for me, these were very distinct from books in some way. I used to think of them as um, fun, different, not quite books. But I realize now that they shaped a lot of what I thought of as humorous reading. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like Calvin and Hobbes, when I started reading it, I think, you know, it, it started in 1985. I was five years old. And I remember when I was about 10 or 12, around that age, I, I got into it because of the newspapers, right? They used to have this one strip of it, three frames. And it interested me so much, but I didn't realize how deep it was until I kind of grew up a little bit. 
And Kelvin and Hobbes is probably one of my favorite comics of all time. And the multifaceted, multi-leveled comedy that they used to bring. I never appreciated all this until I was older. But I was reading it when I was a kid. And I could, you know, very much relate to it, which is great, right? Yeah, I've spoken before about how uh, Kelvin and Hobbes is also one of my all-time favourites. And in the same way that you don't realise how melancholic and, uh, you know, occasionally melancholic and faceted it is, I think the comparison here would be to something like Peanuts, where you also have some a kid who is inherently very lonely, who has um, a lot of anxieties in some ways towards the adults in their life, relating either to a stuffed tiger um, or to a beagle. And so I think there is definitely that for, for kids. And then when you return to it as an adult, um, it, it's weird because the jokes are not, I mean, they're still very funny, but they're not uncomplicated laughs. You know, you, you don't just laugh because it's a pratfall or, or something like that. You laugh because you're like, oh yeah, that's right. We are all scared of death, huh? <laughs> yes. And and something that as a kid you never pick up on. And I think that's the genius of, uh, you know, we talk about Pixar quite often in our movie show. And it strikes me that something like Calvin and Hobbes um, and, and Peanuts actually strikes that same tone of being able to tell these double, these stories on multiple levels that appeal to multiple ages. Um, but on the other spectrum of comics that um, kids and adults enjoy, but perhaps for very different reasons. Uh, this reminds me of things like Asterix. And um, the other two that I used to read, uh, again, courtesy of my dad's collection, was Lucky Luke and uh, Is No Good. Um, so these are all like those, um, that style of comics. And they all play that same role in a different way, which is that the humor is um, funny for a younger person in a particular way, because they're so outlandish and they're doing all of these ridiculous things. But as an adult, then you have all of the puns and the wit and the wordplay. And I love that I can still enjoy those today um, the way I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, just special mention on Tintin as well. That was one of my favorites. How, you know, the, the fact that the whole humor of it was so interesting to me because like Tintin, it was an adventure for this kid who basically had a, you know, little Yorkshire Terrier with him. And it I felt like almost it's an escapism as a child, right? That you can go on these adventures, you know, by proxy in a way. And uh, Asterix as well. I always thought Asterix as one of the funnier ones because, you know, it, there's a saying like in Malay, it's called Lawa Abodo, right? And it almost is, but it's not. Like it gives you that, that illusion that it's a bit dumb and like, you know, slapstick, but it's not because there is, again, faceted, things and then you look at lat which you know really filled up my childhood and then there's another local one called the durian life that used to be a newspaper much. strip isn't it yes yeah. yes yeah a lot of my reading starts from the newspaper because that was the only part of the newspaper i liked right i mean i as a kid i wasn't much into sport or i wasn't much into the news but you know the the fact that these comic strips gave me an insight to popular culture and politics in a way that the news wouldn't have, right? Because they, they parodied what we were going through anyway as, as the Ragyat. And also the fact that, you know, it gives us enough information and interesting enough to keep you reading. Something I wanted to bring up, right? Because we're having this conversation in conjunction with International Joke Day, which I didn't 
think was a didn't know was a day. But what I appreciate is that we're talking about things that actually tell jokes because a lot of the I think stuff that we're going to talk about later on maybe doesn't necessarily do that. Where it's humorous throughout, but it's not based on a specific gag or they're not trying to land a punchline. But comics, particularly comics in strips, really do that. By the time you get to the sixth panel, uh, the fifth panel, you're supposed to have a joke. You're supposed to have a resolution to the thing. And comics do that in a way that I think other forms of writing perhaps do not. And um, to in relation to Lawak Bodo, right, there is something to be said about a joke that is so irritating it becomes funny and, and that's kind of how it lodges in your head. It's the equivalent of an advertising jingle, right? It's the thing that just gets in there and then it's there forever. And as we were talking about Tintin, uh, one of those things that has always bothered me so much that I love it are uh, Thompson and Thompson. It's the kind of joke that is so annoying um, and yet is so good. And I think that that's part of what makes the humour classic. It bothers me to this day and even on screen, I'm just like, ah, there they are again. <laughs> so that reminds me actually of Mad Magazine and the Spy vs. Spy series that it used to have because it's similar in that sense in that they're entirely driven by visual pratfalls. So, you know, I haven't read it in years, so I can't even remember if there's any dialogue at all. Um, it might all be entirely visual, but this idea of the, the black spy and the white spy and all of the ridiculous sort of things that they do, its entire purpose is to make you laugh. It doesn't really serve a purpose beyond it. And I think that there's something quite special and perhaps something we don't necessarily get in, in reading form anymore with the death of things like magazines and uh, newspapers. Well, that's not true. I mean, GIFs and memes do the same thing, but in a slightly different way. Um, I do miss those, I think. Yes. And I'll tell you what I miss the most, right? It's this comic that we all have read at one point in our lives, sitting in a barbershop, right? It's called The Master Chi. <laughs> and it was a Chinese comic. And look, I couldn't read Chinese, obviously, right? Uh, but somehow or other, we all, you know, kind of bonded on that one magazine, which we never understood. Because some of the jokes may have been wordplays in Chinese, which obviously I didn't get. But, you know, most of it, you still laugh based on what the visual is. And it's it's such a powerful thing. I think, as I mentioned to you, Shamila, earlier, when you asked me to do the show, that uh, I suffer from dyslexia. And it was, it's very hard for me to, to read books and stuff like that. And I remember the first book I read, which is very ambitious, which was Lord of the Rings. Uh, the, yeah, I know, right? I'm it's, laughing it's because I haven't, reading, I haven't even finished it. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I did because it was such an interesting book, but nothing to do with humor. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was this book. It was this this visual thing that really taught me how to, you know, appreciate visuals as a form of information. Because that's what, I mean, I was taught to how to read to, in spite of my dyslexia, which is to use the visuals rather than use the font, right? And that really, like, you know, kind of brought me to a fact that, like, yeah, I don't need the text. I just need the visuals. And and it worked. It worked. There's, there's so many times I, I laughed to myself in the barbershop while waiting for my, you know, crew cut, haircut. And uh, yeah, so it was it was it was amazing. 
We're celebrating International Joke Day here on By the Book. That's on the 1st of July. And uh, we've been joined by Kavin Jay, who is, of course, a comedian himself. And um, we'd love to hear from you. What are the books or comics or who are the writers who make you laugh? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. We'll be back after a short break. This is By the Book, BFM 89.9. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're also joined by comedian Kavin Jay. And that's because today we are marking International Joke Day, which falls on the 1st of July. So we've been spending the first half of the show talking a lot about comics and childhood humour when it comes to reading. Um, I wanted to sort of expand that conversation a little bit into other sorts of books. I, I have a question, though, before we before we dive in. Um, I wanted to know, uh, because this episode got me thinking about the act of writing humour um, and how that's such a difficult thing, right? We talked earlier about the visuals, about how visuals go a long way towards helping. But when you're reading a book, um, you're very reliant on your own imagination to, to get there. And a lot of it comes with the pacing and how it is that the joke is told on the page. And I was curious to know, Kavin, whether you write jokes down and what that's like for you in terms of like shaping... Shaping a joke, shaping an anecdote. Yes, I do up to a point. Okay, the thing that I've learned about writing jokes is that art cannot survive without structure and structure cannot survive without art, right? And the thing is like, we are so driven by art that sometimes we forget about the structure and how the science of writing works and, you know, what some structural things that you need for a joke to work. I mean, yes, you can hide it in the art, but however, it's still there. Right? And it took me a very long time to learn that rule in a way that you kind of want to break, but you can't. And right now I'm writing a, a series, a comedy series with uh, you know, a few uh, developers and stuff like that. I realized that, you know, writing something that is for, you know, reading is so much different than telling a joke. Because telling a joke, you can show the intent, you can, you can kind of you know, work the context in there, but writing, you need everything there, right? You you are you are basically playing with someone's imagination, really. And you really want to lead them in one direction and then, you know, kind of leave them in another. But it, it's so hard because it, it doesn't translate at all, like reading and writing. Like if you were to get one of my scripts, uh, like when I did a stand-up comedy show, everybody laughed, it was great. But if you just transcribe it and you read it, you like, so what was the problem? <laughs> you know, it, it becomes very difficult. So in contrast, right, that, that's why I'm always in awe of writers who are writing funny characters because I find that so incredible when I'm reading and I find myself just cackling along with something that's happening in a book. I'm thinking of um, actually most significantly probably Sue Townsend and the Adrian Mole books, um, which were huge back in the 90s. Thursday, January the 1st. Bank holiday in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. These are my New Year's resolutions. 1. I will help the blind across the road. 2. I will hang my trousers up. 3. I will put the sleeves back on my records. 4. I will not start smoking. 5. I will stop squeezing my spots. 6. I will be kind to the dog. Seven, 
I will help the poor and ignorant. Eight, after hearing the disgusting noises from downstairs last night, I have also vowed never to drink alcohol. It basically tells the story of a 13 and a three quarter year old boy and it kind of follows him as he, grow, uh, as he grows up. And um, they're not overtly, they're not comedians. The, the characters themselves are not telling jokes, but the things that happen to them, the way they're described, the you know, it, they're so funny. And now as an, a writer, when I reread it, I, I'm still in awe because I'm like, how do you construct that humour? I, I think it's very much accidental. That's the only way I can explain it, right? It, it's one of those things where if you want to translate this humor onto this character, it's it's a self-biography in a lot of ways, right? Because it does, in a way, like, you know, you've been through it and you think, like, how ridiculous it is. And then you realize, oh, if I can put this in writing, people will understand how ridiculous it is. And that's how it is. Like, And, and a lot of times, humor comes from a place of accident, in a way, right? Because a lot of humor, if you if you talk to a lot of comedians, what they will say, you, you when you tell them like, hey, how do you get inspiration for your jokes? And most of them will tell you, I go to a family function, I listen to them speak, and then I tell you the story. So, you know, that's how it happens. It's very accidental. It's very incidental in a way. So one of the reasons why um, I, I kind of wanted to find out about this and, and about the idea of a funny character also is because um, I realized that when you look around for funny books, right? They fall into a number of broad categories. So either they are biographies or autobiographies, uh, funny people writing about their lives and uh, translating, in many cases, trauma um, into humour. So that's sort of one whole category of books. But then you also have people who are writing plays. And I think that that's also because so much of humour is is spoken. And that's why uh, so much of the dialogue is is about what's funny, right? And I'm thinking here of, for example, Hitchhiker's Guide, which began life as a radio play. I think that when you read it as a novel, you don't necessarily see it that way. But when you know its origins, it really is very clear that that's why the chemistry between the characters is as such. That's why the interplay is the way it is. It's because it began life as a play. In many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Hitchhiker's Guide has already supplanted the great Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom. For though it has many omissions and contains much that is apocryphal or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important respects. First, it is slightly cheaper, and secondly, it has the words, don't panic, inscribed in large friendly letters on its cover. With Hitchhikers, I think the other interesting thing is that it's both meant to be, it was meant to be a play one. It was also supposed to be satire, right? Because he was trying to send up the Star Wars had just come out and it was this hyper serious space opera kind of genre. And he was, uh, he basically wanted to play around with that. So I think the the coming together of both those sensibilities of um, the not taking yourself seriously side of satire and the, I want this to work as a spoken joke, come together really beautifully in Hitchhiker's. Yes, uh, probably one of my favorite books. I think I I was eighteen when I picked up a book when I when I went to the UK and uh, someone you know kind of lent me a book and it was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and that that joke until today is probably my favorite, which is the one where you know they ask a computer, the supercomputer, <laughs> what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything, and he goes, 
42. Right? <laughs> and for me, that was, I just loved how that, you know, transpired because it's like, you know, it, it was, it, it led you one way and then boom, you were left with, yeah, 42. I've left jobs with so long and thanks for all the fish. So, so <laughs> Douglas Adams has given us all so much. <laughs> so I was wondering, we just have a short amount of time left. What are some other books or authors that have struck out to you as being particularly funny or who come to mind when you just want to laugh? I think for me, one of the funniest books, authors that I've read is Tina Fey. And she's written a, quite a few books. I think Bossy Pants was one, the autobiography. Origin story. My brother is eight years older than I am. I was a big surprise, a wonderful surprise, my mom would be quick to tell you. Although having a baby at 40 is a commonplace fool's errand these days, back in 1970, it was pretty unheard of. Women around my mom's office referred to her pregnancy as Mrs. Fay and her change of life baby. When I was born, I was fussed over and doted on, and my brother has always looked out for me like a third parent. The day before I started kindergarten, my parents took me to the school to meet the teacher. My mom had taken my favorite blanket and stitched my initials into it for nap time, just like she'd done for my brother eight years earlier. At the teacher conference, my dad tried to give my nap time blanket to the teacher, and she just smiled and said, oh, we don't do that anymore. That's when I realized I had old parents, and I've been worried about them ever since. While my parents talked to the teacher, I was sent to a table to do coloring, I was introduced to a Greek boy named Alex, whose mom was next in line to meet with the teacher. We colored together in silence. I was so used to being praised and encouraged that when I finished my drawing, I held it up to show Alex, who immediately ripped it in half. I didn't have the language to express my feelings then, but my thoughts were something like, Oh, it's like that mother Got it. Mrs. Faye's change of life baby had entered the real world. And I like her sense of humor it's dry and it's very subtle at the same time, right? So it's she she leads you in this whole roller coaster of 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 humor, where sometimes it's it's like you know you get it, you get it, you don't, you don't, and sometimes it's just like look, if you don't get this, don't read this book kind of situation, right? Uh, that is one and two. Actually, I'm gonna bring it back to a local author, Jit Murad is probably one of my favorite writers. He has a very niche audience. Some people really don't get his sense of humor. I love his sense of humor. One of his books, one of his writings that, he, that I wrote, uh, that I read, that really, really, I think really pushed me into the comedy scene was uh, that, that joke that he did. Like, I had a dream and I'm just going to simplify it, right? I had a dream. Uh, Steven Spielberg was in the audience. I was doing a play and then they were heckling me the whole time. Steven Spielberg and uh, George Lucas and then at the end of the day, I, I got up and I was so vivid that I, I couldn't, I, I really wanted to know what that meant. And I went to uh, this guy and he told me, your dream actually meant 4312. <laughs> right? Chow kid, you know, you go, you tell your dreams and then they give you a 40 number. <laughs> he didn't explain any of it. That was the joke. And every everybody who read it went like, I don't get it. And I'm like, no, it's you. You have to understand the whole light layer of jokes. And yeah, but you know, that's just me being a fangirl. <laughs> Lynn, what about you? Oh man, I don't know. We, we've talked about a number of favourites. Um, I just want to mention that in general, we failed to mention Mark Twain. And Mark Twain is one of, I think, the funniest of writers and for good reason. Something that made me laugh recently was 
Oyinkan Braithwaite's My Sister the Serial Killer, um, which is kind of, as the title indicates, really dark. And again, that's something that I'm bringing up, not because it's the funniest book I've ever read, but because we haven't actually talked about that kind of humour. And it's kind of about a woman who has a younger sister who is the the more favoured daughter, the beautiful one. Um, it's set in Nigeria. And her sister has killed her last two boyfriends and her, she's had to help clean it up. And now she started to date a man that she is interested in. So what's going to happen? And it kind of really dives into this idea of what it means to dislike <laughs> your family, uh, what it means to deal with these sorts of life and death terms. And it's very dark and very funny. I don't think it's for everyone, but uh, that's exactly exactly what I like about it. So I guess then I'll pick something that's sort of relatively different from what you guys have already talked about, um, who's uh, Bill Bryson, travel writer. And the reason I pick him is because, again, he brings a sensibility to a genre that you wouldn't expect. Um, you know, his books like Notes on a Small Notes from a Small Island, Down Under. Um, he's written so many. He's also written a short history of nearly everything. Um, and he just has this dry, witty take on travel, on seeing new places, discovering new cultures and in a way that never feels because it's, it's a it's a fine line right white man traveling the world um, you don't necessarily want it to come across as patronizing but he treads that line often the joke is at his own expense and I think that in a world where a travel has now become uh, very inaccessible it's a great time to pick up a book like that because one it helps you remember the rest of the world and another it kind of helps you laugh a little bit so um, I think Bill Bryson is one of my favorites, has always been for a while. Let us know what authors or what books make you laugh. We'd love to hear some recommendations. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us to celebrate International Joke Day. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Buy the Book, BFM 89.9. us to footnotes and because we spent the uh, earlier part of the show I think really circling this idea of uh, words and images and how they work together and separately we thought we'd close things off on this side by talking about exactly that what the pleasure is or the joys are of uh, when you read accompanied by pictures. So I want to start off by addressing the snobbery that comes with does the book have pictures? Because that's almost, um, you know, your typical put down, right? Like, oh, somebody, he only reads or she only reads books when the, the words are really big or when it's accompanied by pictures. And I think that A, is terrible and snobbish. But the other thing is also, um, it speaks to a certain lack of appreciation of what we are trying to address at the moment, which is the the joys in some ways of having illustrations or having uh, some form of pictorial accompaniment to words. And I think that uh, when you think about how most of us learn to read and how most of us fall in love with reading in the first place, it always comes hand in hand. And that's because while reading is an act of the imagination, I think it's always helped when you have a little bit of, um, I don't know, extra illustration and extra push, something extra to enjoy in the process. So I think a lot of that snobbery comes from the fact that they associate them with children, right? So it's associated with someone 
someone who's not as good a reader or someone who's just learning to appreciate books. And while I admit that picture books are a large part of how children learn to read, I don't think it necessarily means you have to leave them behind once you quote unquote graduate to proper reading, right? Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of the books that I moved on to, because uh, I had these great volumes of um both things like Hans Christian Andersen or Grimm's Fairy Tales or Robin Hood or Alice in Wonderland. And they were these great cloth-bound copies that came with illustrations. And a lot of these books actually had original illustrations, like Lewis Carroll had illustrations. Um, Hans Christian Andersen has had illustrations for a while. Even writers, uh, more modern writers like Roald Dahl, uh, famously, um, you know, the Quentin Blake illustrations played a huge part in how people sort of perceived his characters. So, I do think that that snobbery is to our detriment. And I, for one, really like it uh, when uh, any kind of reading is accompanied by imagery when it fits. So that could be a graphic novel. It could be a picture book. It could be a proper novel with maps, you know, whatever, whatever fits the story you're trying to tell. So I'm glad that you brought up Quentin Blake because I think that Quentin Blake is so much a part of the Rod Dahl books that we are familiar with. And in some ways, look, Rod Dahl would be funny in, in any language, in any form, with or without illustrations. But the illustrations help. Um, you know, when you actually see Mr. and Mrs. Twit, when you actually have to deal with the four grandparents in the bed, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's quite joyous to see expressed through, uh, through drawing. And so... When you think of it as hand in hand and not separate, and, and um, also you brought up maps, and I think that perhaps some genres are more forgiving of it than others. So for example, with fantasy books and things like that, it's almost a given that there is going to be a map. There is going to be oftentimes a very elaborate map with little mountains, lakes, mm -hmm. you know, just things actually depicting the land. And perhaps, again, this goes back to that issue of how much of a leap of the imagination does this particular story require and how much assistance does an illustration offer? And so... Um, and, and even in our conversation with Kavin, when he spoke about how, as a dyslexic reader pictures are so helpful. It's not something that would naturally have occurred to me, but it made me glad that they were there. Yes, you know, you're right. I didn't think about that. And I think the other thing that pictures do is that they offer you a bit of a break in the um, in the in the reading process, but not in a way that takes you out of the book. Um, you know, uh, I, I love it when I'm reading about a character and there is a sort of illustration that I that helps me. So helps me imagine what they might look like or even what a scene might look like. Um, and I think on the converse side, the other thing I really enjoy is when artists uh, essentially just use images to tell stories and the words are really, really minimal. Um, I'm thinking of people like... Um Oliver Jeffers, uh, you know, who whose art is really the centerpiece of his picture books. And the writing, while powerful and, and really good, are uh, almost the second tier of what you take in. And again, I think there is a certain amount of snobbery and some tendency to think of it as, oh, those are picture books for children. But I think there's so much that adults can enjoy and appreciate from those um, in the same way that we can still appreciate animation, for example.
We've spoken a lot on the show about our love for fairy tales, and I just wanted to say that if you have been reading Hans Christian Andersen um, and not been reading or uh, familiarizing yourself with the illustrations of Edmund Dulac, um, which is a part of some some editions of Hans Christian Andersen, not all of them, but um, the ones that I grew up with definitely had them. And as an adult, when I when I revisited, I'm just like, no wonder I thought that these castles were as beautiful as they were. No wonder I thought that, um, you know, these underwater landscapes, that these journeys through frozen tundras were as gorgeous and evocative as they were. And it's because of the illustrations of Edmund Dulac. And um, as an adult, again, I would I would frame those up free of context. And I'm so... I don't know, I just feel really lucky to have actually experienced those stories for the first time with those illustrations. So let us know, are you a fan of books or reading in general with illustrations, with pictures accompanying them? Give us some suggestions, we'd love to check them out. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio or write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.